This talk was given by Ron Hogan Green Sensei at the Zen Center of New York City. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and co-director of ZCNYC. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or to find out more about our retreats and residency programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. A few words about Mondo. It's um, one of the ways of teaching. It's a, um, um, an informal way in which I'll make a, a brief presentation on the, the topic. And um, what makes a Mondo work is you. Uh, the questions that you bring, the statements, the explorations, where you go with it. Um, and so I hope you're interested and willing to participate. Um, I hope you just don't take things at face value, that you're willing to push yourself and hopefully me uh, and, and see what's there. And um, uh, it's, it's your call. Um, we have, a, as always, people with different levels of experience. So just to set that off, um, the topic is the, the fourth precept, refrain from telling lies or the way we tend to put it in the white plum lineage, the mountains and rivers order, is manifest truth, do not lie. Uh, and there are other translations uh, which contain subtleties. Hi, come on in. Uh, let me also add that at any point you can stand up, get coffee, use the restroom, or run out of here screaming. It's all fine. Whatever you want to do is, uh, uh, is good. So all part of the Dharma. <laughs> Nothing's excluded. Um, but I do want to set this up a bit uh, in that, you know, in essence, the, the fundamental question of, of Zen practice is um, how do you awaken and how do you live that? Uh, and there's implications within what I said, but let's just stay with us and our own practice. Uh, and one way to respond to that is to, to look at it from uh, a three-legged stool. The, the basic three legs of that stool uh, are um, samadhi, prajna, and sila. Sila is the precepts, one of which we're examining today. The moral and ethical way that you live, which comes out of prajna, wisdom. The wisdom comes out of samadhi, which is functionally zazen. And so that's the basis of it. That's where everything rests. Um, and all three legs are essential. And that is not always present in all aspects of emphasis in different schools of Buddhism. There are schools that emphasize the precepts. There are schools that emphasize zazen. There are schools that emphasize studying the sutras, and on and on. Um, what I'm personally interested in, and what I hope you're interested in, is waking up, realizing yourself, and in the midst of doing that, because it's an ongoing project, um, how to live that, and how to offer that to other beings. That's my interest, and I hope, by extension, um, you're invited to share our interest together. Um, the precepts, the, the moral and ethical perspectives, are the, the relative functioning in the world. 
how, how do you take the wisdom that comes out of our practice and actually apply it to the specific situations in our life? And if, if you look at the schematic setup uh, for the sake of simplicity, which has its virtue and its challenges, uh, and you look how the, the precepts are organized, uh, they begin with taking refuge. And we had a Jakai ceremony last week, and of course, that was part of it. Uh, not a Jakai, I'm sorry, a um, Fusatsu ceremony, a renewal of vows, a renewal of our vows, which include the precepts. Uh, and part of that is taking refuge, uh, and very intentionally taking refuge. Taking refuge in the Buddha, the Enlightened One, and by by extension, the teachers of that Enlightened One, the, who present uh, to the students, um, to the Dharma, the teachings of the Buddha, uh, and the Sangha, us together, us practitioners who are practicing that. Uh, and there are more subtleties within those three treasures, but just for the sake of being brief and explanatory, um, that's the basis of the moral and ethical teachings. So actually taking refuge. This is personal. This is direct. Uh, it's not casual. There's, there's a process by which we take refuge and an understanding that can come out of that, which is a lifelong exploration of what it means to commit your life. Is there a problem or question? Are we okay? Okay. Uh, and taking refuge. So, you know, that's the first major building block of the moral and ethical perspectives that you're, you're relying on. Taking refuge means you're committing yourself, total commit, committing yourself to this. Um, then there's the three pure precepts, which um, we're, to a certain degree, exploring the sangha, uh, which is to um, not, which is to avoid practicing evil, however you want to express that. <laughs> Refrain from practicing evil. Practice good and practice good for others, which is the way we word it in our order. Um, and then there's the 10 um, kind of functional precepts, each one very specific in a way, but with a lot of space. And how you understand each of these precepts is, is really important, and there's different ways to understand them. Um, so this is the fourth. Uh, Manifest truth, do not lie. And just speaking generally, uh, these are not rules to follow. So that's the, the most important thing I can say about this. This is not the Ten Commandments, if you want to look at the Ten Commandments that way. Yet they're not, not rules to follow. So what does that mean? Uh, and we can explore that. But each of the precepts have their own... Um, levels of understanding, and levels of living out of, and ways to be responsible for each of those levels. And the ultimate uh, arbitrator of uh, each precept and how you uphold that or don't uphold that is you and your karma. It's not just you. It's because there's a karma that's going to result because we are in the relative world. Um, so um, it's not... Just yes or no, do it or don't do it. Something more subtle and more profound is going on. So I'm going to read a little bit 
of what Dogen and Yasutani Roshi put forth. And then I'm going to stop and open it up, and we'll see where it goes from there. All right? So Master Dogen said, self-nature is inconceivably wondrous. And remember, we're resting on these three pillars of samadhi, wisdom, and sila. So everything comes from that. Every perspective of the precepts comes from that. So Master Dogen said, self-nature is inconceivably wondrous. In the Dharma that is beyond all expression, not speaking even a single word, is called the precept of refraining from telling lies. So, I'm going to stop here. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, we're going to speak. And um, so I'm not going to say anything more. The floor is open. Do, Do you need a volunteer? Thank you. In other words, it's helpful if you don't push any buttons. So that did not, you know, I can, I can do this for hours, <laughs> give you statements that will invite you to. Um, well, what that seems to, to say to me is that um, when we're refraining from, from speaking or in, inter- basically interpreting our experience and just leaving things be like so much of the precepts it seems like just comes down to like just leave it alone you know leave the experience be then that like that's how i interpret that statement about about that precept um just you know leave it be don't don't interpret it don't add anything to it okay um and yet we live in a world this relative world in which we have to communicate, in which we have to say things that are directive or have a direction. Um, and so uh, how does that apply here? So like how does it work in like actual, <laughs> actual well, life where we have Dharma to speak? <laughs> that is beyond all expression. Not speaking even a single word is called the precept of reframing from telling, from telling lies. Self-nature is inconceivably wondrous. So let's look at that statement. Um, every word is loaded there. So in the Dharma, that is beyond all expression. So what does that mean? Somebody? Anybody? You, you know, the, 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 hold on. I think um, what comes to mind is always the idea is beyond what we can comprehend. There's always the unknown. And so the, the concept of lying is we, we say it as we see it, as we perceive it, and that's not always accurate. And so we, 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 but we move as far as we can with what we know. But this is about knowing, and, and I'm, not, I'm not sure we always know. Well, from a dharmic perspective, you never know, actually. So, you know, just listening to your words and how you kind of shape them is already kind of withholding a bit. Exactly. Or lying. And, 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 I think for me, more and more I'm aware of that. 
if I have a um, perception and I'm ready to say something, I catch myself and say, well, now. But why is it a lie? Well, that, I think lie is a tricky word because in a way we lie all the time. We lie to ourselves. Okay, we, but we, something we, more we, is going on here. <coughs> Excuse me. So let, let me put a hold on this. In the Dharma that is beyond all expression, you said we, um, I'm trying to recall exactly how you framed it, um, we cannot understand, did you say that? Uh, anybody recall? I think we understand the extent we do, but that's not always an accurate understanding. Okay. I would say, this isn't rocket science, it can't be expressed. The fundamental truth, I mean, I'm quoting what I read, <laughs> you know, it's easy. Uh, it can't be fully expressed that every time you say something, much is being left out. Can anybody um, give an example where they're not leaving something out in, in, in saying something? I think that's a much better way of what I was trying to say. I appreciate yeah. I appreciate I what you were trying to say. But I, but I think that expresses it because we don't know. And, and also the tendency to take the word for the thing is extraordinarily pervasive, <laughs> right? We, we believe our thoughts are the thing. And we act out of that. And when I say that, and I'm being very generally magnanimous. I mean, but usually we do believe our thoughts are the thing. In, in the talk Sunday, I think I, I, think I spoke to this um, about a tree, for example. Um, and I used the example of the tree out front and what is, you know, what is this tree? But of course, everything I say is not that tree. And I think I asked in the talk, how would you express that tree? And, and I was asking directly, how would you express that tree? How can you understand that tree, understand it in, the fundamental, in its fundamental treeness? And therefore, Master Dogen says to questions like this, you should study this and study this and study this some more. And why does he say that? Does it mean there's no answer or there is an answer? Is there no answer, or is there an answer? Well, the answer is you're never going to know the tree. Well, that is that is not actually correct. <laughs> okay. You want to try the other side? Yeah. What's the other side? That you always you know completely know the tree. Well, that is not actually correct. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the point Master Dogen is making. <laughs> you know, we always fall into one side no. or the other. Yeah. Okay. Anybody else? But this seems to me like speaking out of ignorance. Like where does the role of intention? Because, you know, maybe we're lying because we can't, we don't know the whole Dharma or it's inexpressible. But that's different from when you have the intention to make false statements. Yeah. But this statement that I'm reading, which is actually a poem, Self-nature is inconceivably wondrous. So appreciating that self-nature is inconceivably wondrous to whatever extent we can, then we should know anything we say is not going to capture that. 
And even irrespective of what our intention is, it's misleading. And in that, to that extent, it is not truthful. And yet we say it as, as if it is truthful. Now, I'm not denying the role of, of intention. That's, in a way, an allied but separate topic. And we can talk about intention. Uh, and we will. Um, he, he then says, not speaking even a single word is called the precept of refraining from telling lies. So given that we have to speak a word, what's being said there? We have to speak words. We're going to speak words. What's the difference between someone speaking words that upholds this precept and words that do not uphold the precept? Please. In Dino Roshi's book on art, he talks about not about being with the object mm-hmm. and not trying to express it, whether it be in words or in painting or whatever, until you know it. And in some ways, I think this offers us the idea of of actually making the effort to know. And again, the term "know" is kind of Yes. Iffy. <laughs> but to we feel that we know, um, and that very often we speak before even making the effort to know. So in Zen, that's called live words. That the difference, if you, if you want to use a shortcut to express this, is live words, which was you know the name of the subscription that some of us can recall for the uh, originally taped and then CD'd monthly talk that we would send out in the um, pre-web days that people would subscribe to, and in those days was fairly popular. So each month they would get the best of the best from Zen Mountain Monastery. Um, And I know because I had to write those descriptions for it each month in a title (laughs) for many years, uh, which is not my strength. Um, But in any case... um, Live words versus dead words. And it's easy to recognize dead words, right? I mean, just turn on your TV, your computer, and it's filled. You know, the whole political world is essentially filled with these dead words. And when within that world, at least you, dead words, I hope I said, but worlds would work also. Um, When occasionally you hear something truthful, you know, I have two impressions within the political world when occasionally I hear something that is live, it's so unusual, it's remarkable, and it's going to be heavily punished politically. You know, that's, that's my take. It's, it's almost political suicide. Um, isn't that interesting? Um, but, you know, Dogen here is speaking of in the Dharma that is beyond all expression. So that's, that's coming from a very particular place. So that's kind of the starting place of it. In the Dharma that is beyond all express, expression, can't be expressed. And that Dharma cannot be described with, with words. It can't. No matter what you say, to explain it, you've spoken falsely. Well, what, and, and that's coming back to intent. No matter what you say, you've spoken falsely. That's, quote, the lie, if you will no matter what your intent is. 
Of course, again, please use the microphone. The the word reverence comes to mind. Sure. But we're, we're coming from the Dharma that is beyond all expression. We're coming from the place that is inexpressible. That's what you realize. No eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind. That, that every expression, meaning every dharma, everything, is empty of its essential essence. That's the realization that you're, you're sitting with in Zazen. That's what you're proving to yourself. That's what you're awakening to. That, you know, so just think of it. Can you have any thought? Is there any thought you have that you cannot let go of? And that will then go on and self-exist by itself. Sounds absurd when I say it that way. But that's the reality we live out of, right? I mean, we're creating our sense. The, the reality we live out of is coming out of our thoughts about reality. And not one of those thoughts is self-sustaining on its own. We, for each thing about that, when we look at it closely, Zazen, it, it, it turns to dust when we let it go. That's emptiness. Now, if you think that that's emptiness, that's not emptiness. That's another thought about emptiness. So as soon as we intellectually try and run around in a circle and nail it down, that too has no basis. So no thought you have, meaning, I'm not just talking about thoughts here, no thing that you see and experience has a self-sustaining basis. No thing exists on its own. And I challenge you, can you name one thing in this universe that exists completely on its own and independent of anything else? You want to try? Please give him the mic. I'm, I'm anxious to hear. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, well, the black hole comes to my mind. Well, I, I don't know what that is, but it came from someplace and is going someplace. <laughs> and I suspect um, we came from there <laughs> in some unimaginable way. But we don't know enough. I mean, informationally, we, just from a pure science point of view, there's nothing we can say about that. But we've seen it. No. We've seen a lot of things. No, but we've seen... So yeah. what? You've seen a photograph. That's not the black hole. You've seen the idea of a black hole. But just in regards to that, I would say the black hole might need light. I mean, it might need dark matter or space. So, well, well, do you... I mean, I guess I don't know scientifically, but it seems like there are connections yeah. there. Of course. I mean, looking at the black hole... Maybe that's the single exception to anything else that came out of spontaneous generation. You know, that was the theory in the 1600s, 1700s. Things just poofed into existence. Um, I'm fairly confident that it didn't, that there's something even unknown. And it's one of the regrets of my life is I'm not going to live long enough to see all this wondrous science that's uh, coming down the road. But who knows? That's a different problem. So I want to move on a little bit. Um, So in regard to Dogen's poem, um, Shakyamuni is supposedly declared, I have not uttered a single word after 49 years of teaching. All his words were lies. And there's a saying, Shakyamuni and Amida, Amida's a Buddha, 
the more the lie, the more they lie, the more the more they're Buddhas. So isn't that interesting? And we're about to turn to that. Yes. Um, so when the Dharma expresses itself, it's also lying. Is it? Dharma and expressing itself is the same exact thing. There right. isn't any space between them. And and so if everything if if Dharma and everything are also the same exact thing, then everything is already expressing itself. And that includes us. Yes. Okay. And so what? It's yeah. I mean, it sounds like we're fine. (laughs) (laughs) So, in the midst of your life, and in the midst of the challenges of your life, Mm -hmm. do you buy that? I mean, do you actually buy that? Live that? Experience your life that way? Is is that how it is for you? I buy that. I don't live my life that way. Yeah. Well, what do you mean by by that? You, you yeah, believe it? Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, yeah, but l- let me let me think. I I mean, I I think on a deep level, I do. Well, so do I. Yeah. So do I. Sometimes, moment to moment, I forget. Yeah. But you know, I certainly have faith in that statement, and I have some experience in that statement. You know, that's why I do more of the practice. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I would have stopped long ago if my experience didn't match that faith. So, okay. Yeah. Anything else? No. <laughs> but what you said is very important. I mean, the whole basis of this practice, it, you need great faith among other greats, uh, boundless faith. But you need to confirm that for yourself. It's, you know, that faith is, is not enough. Uh, that, that you know, and so there has to be insight into that. Mm. What that faith is, there has to be your own personal experience that that is true. So, so then to come back to expression, is is that then necessary for for insight and for confirmation of, well, of if, your faith? If, it depends on the context you're speaking of. Um, I mean, I'm talking about, I guess, the context of everyday life. Like, I need to express myself. I need to talk. I need to do stuff. So does everybody. So does everything. Uh, in order for the the Dharma to to get confirmed, I guess, or to be... But the Dharma doesn't depend on that, <laughs> No, the right? Dharma doesn't need to be confirmed. Yeah, okay, yeah. What, so. <laughs> not at all. The Dharma yeah. doesn't need you or me. <laughs> doesn't need any of us. <laughs> you, know, you know, the guardian figures, I don't know if you've ever seen in actuality the historical guardian figures in China. We have. And they're about 10 feet tall. And they're true warrior guardian figures. And there's a whole bunch of different types. And, you know, traditionally they're, they're in... in you know, the, the white dragon, the Hakurasan is part of that. Um, but actually, the Dharma doesn't need any, any guardian figures. You and I need guardian figures. Mm-hmm. The practice of the Dharma needs guardian figures. 
but not the Dharma itself. We're kind of getting off track here. Um, all right. Oh, hold on. Hold on, please. Oh, I guess this, that's kind of something I've been struggling with is this, I guess, the kind of this great faith on the one hand that I have and on the intellectual level, but then this, yeah, that, that failure to fully, you know, embody all of that. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if this is really the question, but my mind just comes back to why do we, why do we put all these barriers, uh, all these levels in front of the truth? Like there's perhaps the Dharma or Maybe why do the you expression. put all those levels in front of the truth? What, definitely why do I, but I think also, I guess, why Why does everyone in some ways, I mean, maybe maybe, maybe it is just me. I guess it's, I'm only seeing it from my, <laughs> from my perspective. It's the important. only one I can see. That's important. Yeah. And it's, yeah. and you know, it, I guess maybe we all want to do that, but I wonder like, okay, well, if I know intellectually this thing, why then do I keep lying to myself. Why do I do the things I do? Exactly. Song. <laughs> Anybody know Song where is that's the only from, way. by the way? <laughs> Man of a mancha. Sorry. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no. Not really much to go on. I don't think it's, and you know, I don't know if it's something that can really be answered perhaps or maybe only in but by I'd like sitting. To respond. But I don't see any of the um, things you do or struggles you have uh, as opposed to the Dharma. I see them as Dharma. I see them as, literally, I see them as opportunities, as flashing green lights to, to look at and to explore. I don't see them as negatives. And um, I think that's, for me, a very profound understanding of my own practice. Uh, which allows me um, to genuinely have repentance. And the genuineness comes from looking at the uh, evil that I do in body, mouth, thought, uh, repent for that, and use that as both an inspiration and an energy to address it. And so, you know, in the fascicle we're studying, Dogen says this, basically, in high flute and Dogen-esque terms. Were any of us at the, week, at the weekend at the monastery? I mean, I'm assuming that was said, and if you were at Sashin, I said it. You know, I basically looked at, at those statements. Um, and that's a key to practice, because if we just take a look at um, the things we do and... and say, well, this is wrong, this is evil. Uh, you know, the natural psychological perspective from the self is to use that to bury the self and further create the self, right? We're all familiar with that, that internal critic, which is going to be satisfied when? <laughs> when will we get it right? <laughs> um, and so um, to turn that towards, towards actually looking at what those voices are saying within us and, and entering them from the perspective as, as an energy to uh, help us practice changes everything. It means that when Dogen says that, uh, that even when we do evil, I'm misquoting him slightly, but the idea, that too is essentially doing good because doing good has no boundary. 
and doing evil has no boundary when viewed from the absolute perspective. And so it's all good. <laughs> you know, it's all from the, now from the perspective of you and I in the relative world. It's, there's, there's no end to opportunity. Does that make sense? Some sense? Helpful. Yeah. Okay. I, I, there's a lot that I, wa- I want to try and cover, so bear with me. Um, I, I know, but at some point I have to. <laughs> Please pass the microphone over. Um, going back to what you said about the more the Buddhas lie, the more Buddhas they become. I kind of interpret that like the more, the closer you get to insight, to understanding, to enlightenment, the less you would lie. Like if you look at Trump, I mean, he he lies like every moment. He because must be a Buddha. He has, <laughs> but he really has like... You think I'm kidding, but I'm not. <laughs> but he has no... You know, he has, he's not looking inward. He's right. not aware of his ignorance. He doesn't even want to be. I mean, he is sure that he knows. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, but compared we- to someone like Shugan, <laughs> you know, who <laughs> would lie a lot less than Trump. Actually, Shugan is lying all the time. Yeah, in that absolute set that we're talking about. No, but- in the relative sense. No, because I think there's the absolute where we say, like, any word you speak is a lie because you can't possibly express the Dharma, right? But But at the same time, there's nothing outside the Dharma. So every lie is Dharma, and in fact, it's not a lie from the very absolute sense. But then there's the relative where you are lying. Trump is giving misinformation, which has a lot of karma, very deep karma compared to you or Shugan who coming from a place where you're you're being very careful in how you speak and what you say and you sat with something a lot before you speak on it that has a very different impact and karma so why is it said that the more the li- they lie the more the buddhas why is that what are they doing because you're, you're, the more you speak and talk, like this mondo, exactly. we're tr- as we do this mondo, we're gaining like a little slight, 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 slight insight, right? One would hope. Right. So then <laughs> next time I speak, it may not, you but, know, but the why? lies, that's what I'm saying, the lies, the more you practice, the more you speak, the more... The more it's apparent to you, you're lying. I, I am lying. But why? Why are you lying? Yeah, why, why, do I, why am I saying that? Here, here we are in a Dharma hall in, in one because of the ways... Because what you said, we just said, like, if any word is a lie because it can't express... Because it's not fully expressible. Right. It's not, it's not fully... I'm always leaving something out. It's one of the reasons we say, by the way, for Doksan and Daisan, don't share that. Because that's very specific in that set of circumstances. It's something, 
an exchange between one person or another has no other applicability other than in that moment with those two people. And in a different context, um, it's completely off. So the basis of these precepts is time, place, position, and degree in this relative world. So you've heard this. But this is not actual, this is a teaching of Yasutani Roshi. It's a specific teaching uh, within the white plum um, lineage um, that, that the application of the precepts, uh, you've heard this said, I hope, many times, depends on the time, when, when it is, a particular action when it is, where it is, how much of it is, and the position. And so an action, uh, I mean, Daida would say this a million times, and it's, it's a little loaded, but an action that a person might take with a five-year-old child and an action that they might take with a significant other, the same exact action, right? Exactly the same exact action. In one case, it's absolutely complete violation and totally evil. In the other case, it may be a completely upholding love. But it's the same action. How can that be? And that's the challenge of the rules. I think your point's right on. Uh, and I want to turn, because it's, it's crucial to turn to this point, and I don't want to miss it. And that is, um, how do you understand what's true and what's false? How do you understand that? So we have this precept, manifest truth, do not lie. So what does that mean? Does that mean in telling any lie, you're not upholding the precept? You're breaking the precept? I'm asking, the precept is very clear. Manifest truth, don't lie. Don't do that. So my question is, from what perspective would that, let's, I'll reframe the question. From what perspective would that be true? Do not lie. End of story. When you were saying, this for me goes back to saying that the more the Buddhists lie, the more they become Buddhists. Because when we don't look at what we say, if we just stopped, if we, if we just say, okay, accept that moving in the world, we are not only going to lie, we are going to create evil. We just will. And the minute we stop looking at that we stop doing anything about it so we have to look at it we have to do it in order to stop doing it if that makes any sense but you're going to do it okay you're going to lie right indirectly directly in some and many ways so the precepts have different when we study the precepts, we study them from different perspectives. And one of those perspectives is the absolute perspective. And that absolute perspective is do not lie. Don't lie. That's the perspective that we study them. And when you lie, there's karmic consequences to that. How often? Oh, rounding it off 100% of the time. There's always karma consequences. Every time you tell a lie, and there's a lot of ways to lie, lots and lots and lots and lots of ways to lie, there's 
that's a cause which has an effect, and that effect has an ongoing cause. So every time you tell, you know those little white lies? You're taking a big boulder and throwing it into a, a pond, and the ripples will be going after you're long gone. So that's a perspective. And that's a perspective to be respected. So we do our best not to lie. Hold on. Hold on. So that that is a bottom line. That's a, a virtuous and helpful perspective as a bottom line of understanding this precept. Can everybody relate to that? But hold on. Okay. I'm asking everybody. Is there anyone who does not understand that as a bottom line? Okay, please go ahead. The reaction that I had that was that you, every time you open your mouth, you know you're lying. Something that you're saying doesn't have full truth. And I think... The wisdom of knowing that is every time you speak, you speak with the humility of knowing that you don't really know completely. So in that humility, I think you can be heard more because people realize it's not dogmatic. You're not preaching and saying this is an absolute I have an idea that it might be like this. Because otherwise, um, and we all know, we say something at the time, we think it's absolutely the truth, and you realize later, it's not. I mean, there, 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 there's hole, there are holes in almost everything we say. Um, the other thought I had around that is that um, this whole idea of emptiness Sort of, sort of. Um, <clears throat> I don't know quite how to express it, but the feeling lately I've begun to feel more about emptiness. Emptiness seems to be more part of what I'm doing. I'm doing it. I'm involved, but I'm not doing it, and I'm not involved. In other words, it there's a. Um, <clears throat> Kind of a different freedom. Can you swallow the microphone, literally? I, I could. I'll try to. Ah. <laughs> um, like an ice cream. <laughs> all right, let me. These, let are, me, these are very hard things to right, talk about. Hold on, but I, hold on, hold on. Because you're coming from a place of personal practice, and I'm not. Okay. Well, so let me, let me teach. Okay. Oh, yeah. right. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to contradict anything you're saying. I, I, you're not contradicting anything. But I'm by just able, asking you to hold on. Okay. All right? Yeah. Okay. So I want to start with a basis that to tell a lie is to create a karmic consequence. And so from going back to the personal practice perspective, we are hopefully doing our best to not lie. So that's one perspective. What's the problem with that perspective? Because there is a problem with that perspective. It's impossible. That's one, one 
way to understand it. Um, but within the relative world of saying, saying things as best we can with, and as truthfully as we can, we can sure try. Uh, have you ever met people who um, are going to tell you the truth no matter what? You ask me a question, I'm telling you the answer. But I, I think that would be the difference between the absolute and the relative. From the absolute perspective, in a certain way, it's impossible to never, ever, to never tell a lie, you know, ever. Because we're always, even if we're, you know, if, you know, even if we're not telling someone something, that can be a form of lying in and of itself, even if it's just innocently forgetting to tell someone something. From a relative perspective, to t- to tell the truth no matter what, you know, to tell the truth to someone can be just as damaging karmically as telling a lie to someone, depending on what that truth is and what that truth is going to do to the person that you're telling it to. But aren't you upholding the precept? Don't it, lie. Tell I think truth. it would depend on how you define upholding the precept. If you define upholding the precept as simply upholding the precept, then I then sure, you you're upholding the precept. But if you define upholding the precept as causing the least amount of harm, then depending on the situation, you know, like you were saying that um, the you know the white plum lotus teaching, which is time, place, action, degree, um, position, position, you know, without taking that into, into account, then I would argue that upholding the precept, the more important aspect of upholding the precept would be those considerations rather than just the, you know, the kind of, you know, do not lie, do not kill, don't do these things at all, ever, or try to. Yeah. So I think your point is very well taken, uh, and that's the Mahayana perspective of the precepts. And so that's based on compassion. So what is the most compassionate action in this particular situation, whatever that situation is? So given what I said about the karma consequences of lying, Suppose you decide that that most compassionate action is to tell something that's, say something that's not true. So I say to my three-year-old granddaughter, Santa Claus brought you this. Uh, The tooth fairy put that $50 bill under, well. (laughs) $5. Used to be a dime in my day, and I was happy to get it. <laughs> um, that's a lie. Hold, hold on, hold on. So my question is, what's the karma consequence of that? So um, when the self arises, it, there's a point of view arises, a point of view. I guess the way I do I see it is the more I attach to that point of view, the more I'm um, the more I'm lying because the more I'm I'm trying to get what I want, and so I guess there's 
to your point, uh, sort of that innocent white lie, there's no, I'm not manipulating somebody overtly for, for this, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, um, uh, to overtly manipulate somebody for myself is, is really attaching to my point of view to the extent that I'm very far away from no self. I agree. I think those are wise comments. And my question is, what about karma? I think to an extent you don't always know or you can't know. I mean, you saying, you telling your granddaughter Santa Claus brought that, that could have wonderful karmic consequences and she could see that as, you know, oh, Santa's the embodiment of giving and she'll do that to her children. Or she could be one of the few kids who take that as, well, that means I can ask for whatever I want. I'm going to ask for a million dollars and stuff. And, you know, oh, I get more stuff than my friend. And, you know, so I think it, it, like we were saying before, it depends very much on individual situations. And you just can't always know what the karma of anything is going to be. Even things that seem 100% positive, you don't always know what that's going to lead to. Yeah, one of my grandkids is called Calvin. <laughs> he's he's not. I don't know if people got that reference. But when he was about five years old, I gave him the complete collection of Calvin and Hobbes. And if you're familiar with Calvin and Hobbes, he plots all the time about his Christmas gifts and manipulating the parents and so on and so forth. Um, of course. Of course. Other comments on that? And, and it would seem to me that it would go back to compassion because, um, I, th- you know, I think, um, I mean, certainly I've heard of, of kids who like felt horribly betrayed and, and angry when they found out that Santa Claus wasn't real and, and they felt like they had been lied to. Um, but I think overall, if something is, is said with compassion and that if the, uh, intent is compassion, then, um, I don't know if, I don't know if I want to say that, that like softens that blow or like, it's, it's just like that, that that's felt and that, that can be that the, the situation is kind of held in that in, in some way. Um, yeah, I think that's all I wanted to say about that. So, you know, I'm, I'm almost tempted to take this. Karmically, there's some ways I'm trying to keep it simple, but I'll just throw this out there, not so much for discussion, but just to think about that in terms of racial, gender, and other kinds of issues, um, sexual preference and other kinds of issues, our intent may be perfectly good and healthy and compassionate, and we may still tell the truth, and within that, as best we know it, and within that truth can be... Oh, absolutely. Right. And so um, the karma of each action we do is real. Whether you tell the truth or whether you tell a lie, and in every... And, and they are non-dual. The truth and the lie are non-dual, which is the whole point of this 
precept and every precept. They're non-dual fundamentally. That's what this rests on. And, you know, it's, it's where we opened. Um, self-nature is inconceivably wondrous. In the Dharma, that's beyond all expression. It's inconceivably wondrous. It can't be described. How could you explain it? It reaches everywhere, and nothing is excluded from it. So when we, whenever we make a statement, we are entering into this relative limited world and making a statement which no matter how we speak the truth contains a lie within it. And whenever we speak a lie, no matter how we speak that lie, it contains the truth. And one of the, the, the most helpful things to me in my life in terms of receiving criticism, no matter how unjustified I felt it was, is that when I understood that every criticism that came my way, which could be a total lie from my perspective, there was always, 100% of the time, I could always, when I looked, find a grain of truth in it. Could be a small grain, could be a larger grain, but there was some element, and now I'm saying a grain of responsibility, medium, small, large. And depending on what that was, and what the specifics of those circumstances was, hopefully I would respond to that in an appropriate way of responsibility. But always there's a responsibility. It always goes both ways. So the lies that maybe a politician says, always the reason these lies are put out there as lies is because there's some aspect of truth within them that people appreciate and relate to, even though the intent is, from my perspective, evil. And, of course, as pointed out, that has a very specific karma that will come due. How, we don't know. No way that we can figure. I mean, so, so, you know, when you begin to look at, let's say, very big events, World War I, and the punishment that Germany sustained and the intent of that punishment, the war to end all wars... What was, you know, it's not hard to see where that led to. World War II and the consequences of that. And I don't know what the number was, but I think probably in the area of 100 million people were killed out of that war, maybe more. I mean, 60 million were Russian alone. So it goes on from there. Um, And what's the karma of that? Um, And so on and so forth. Well, where does this end? It doesn't. I mean, we can go back as far as we want to go back and look at the cause and effect. The karma of violence is always violence. 100% of the time, it's always violence. And so the, the war on, you know, what war has ever created peace? I'm, I'm part of a group of um, very, very high-end, top-end, I'm a peripheral kind of an advisor to a group of international negotiators. And they've been doing this for 20, 30 years at the highest international level, things you would read in the newspaper. And they are fried. They are seeing for themselves that every piece, that piece, P-E-A-C-E, that they've managed and um, encouraged and has led to the next violence, death, war, every single one. 
without exception. You know, no exceptions. And, and they're starting to, they're not starting, they're in the midst of questioning, you know, what is this about? That, you know, one of them wrote to me and said, you know, all, all I see is endless war. And, you know, I wrote back in a nice way, you know, well, what's new? The Buddha said this 2,500 years ago. <laughs> you know, this is what life is from this perspective, that we're going to fix it. Um, and, you know, what's new? Yeah, please. Um, that was a lot you just said. So, um, my head the Buddha be a said this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just quoting. Uh, I'm just reaching back to what I was thinking of uh, in response to your uh, invitation to think about karma, and uh, it occurred to me that maybe we or I'm thinking of a particular statement. Uh, that uh, is a lie or a truth or a live word is um, almost existing in a vacuum. And so if we're attempting to assess the karma of something that is said, I think we also have to appreciate that it does not exist in a vacuum and that there are other, there's everything uh, around that. Can you be more specific? I'm not sure if I can. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I, well, no, I can't be more specific, but maybe I, I sense in myself that if I'm concerned about whether something I said might be a lie or what the karma or potential harm of it is, in me, that tends to close me. And I sense that that, enclosure and self-concern is going to inhibit my appreciation of the question that you just asked. So if the words exist in a a larger perspective that I may not even have, that's why I can't be specific. It gets a little hard to talk about, but it's a sense that being open (laughs) is very different than being closed. And that... um, the question itself almost um, acts to separate me from the Are words I said. Are you concerned um, that any action you take will have karma consequences that are outside your control and that can turn negative? That's certainly a concern. Yeah, well, I have news for you. That's true of every action you've ever taken and every action you will take. And the Buddha said that. I'm not sure I have a problem with that, or or I'm not sure that's different than what I'm saying. I'm not sure how that relates. Well, I asked you, are you concerned about the effects of your actions Yeah. and that they'll kind of create, if you will, negative karma or karma that you're not happy with or hurt others or, and therefore that closes you? Am I understanding I'm what okay you're saying? I'm okay with being concerned about it. That's just simply, that exists. Sure. I'm concerned about it, and I'm open to being concerned about it, even when I notice that it closes me down. So what's the point that you're making? That um, I want to appreciate the concern and practice from a larger perspective than the one that I might actually think I'm capable of seeing at the time. 
Well, I think that's a terrific aspiration, but it feels very vague to me. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Did the best okay. I could. But implicit in what you're saying is that what do we have control of in our actions? And I would say what we have control of is um, what motivates the action. And so what motivates the action when it's from a place of compassion or a, to one degree or another, selfless, or we're doing the best we can under the circumstances to come from that place, then that's what we can do. And the outcomes, 100% of the time, are not within our control. We have no control of the outcomes. There is a karma from that. We're in the relative world. But the karma of someone doing things to the best of their ability and their understanding out of compassion for others and themselves is very different than the karma of someone doing things and saying things out of self-gratification. Intention. Where you started. So there's very, very different karma to that. So the, the point I wanted to make is there is no, karmically, there is no absolute truth and there is no absolute lie. Each one always contains the other. In one sense, it's very dangerous ground. We're never going to find the safe ground when we take an action or speak a word in which there isn't an effect, effects that we're not in control of and that we have no idea about. The good news is when compassion is beneath that action, when that's our intent, then the karma of that is very different than when we're asleep, we're just doing what we're doing, or it's for our own self-gratification, which is, I suspect, subtly, mostly what happens uh, within our awareness or not within our awareness, just out of the habit force of self. Um, and so I've, I've kind of brought up two ways, none of this is original with me, I hope that's obvious, um, of looking at the precept of not telling lies, uphold the truth. One is an absolute way that we should take seriously and do our best not to tell a lie. And I have to say, that's not easy. So all of this is in relationship. And how many times when there's some exchange between us and someone else and we're asked to say something or talk about something we said or did, do we want to frame it in such a way that makes us look good and makes the situation uh, justifiable? I mean, I catch myself doing that, a wanting to do that all the time. It's a little less now, but it still happens plenty of times. I can feel myself framing it that way. I can't tell you how many emails. I've learned not to write an email and hit send. I write the email and I look at it, and I then edit it from the perspective of self-referentiality. And I'm not saying I never use the word I. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how I'm explaining something, and I thank you very much, very subtly, of course, I'm getting the credit. You know, it's about me. And, um, you know, one of the challenges of the racial gender, sexual work that we're doing, et cetera, um, is, is the self-focus when the people in power group respond or say something that, um, so 
they, they, they tend automatically to bring the spotlight back to themselves. And I know as a white male, I do that. I'm trained to do that. And it's blind to me often until it's pointed out a hundred million times. And how powerful that conditioning is. It's not just powerful for me, it's powerful for everyone in the room. And of course, here I am doing it again, right? (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Um, And so time, place, position, and degree, of course. I mean, this is a particular situation and a particular way of being. Um, But I'm aware of it. Um, So there's no absolute truth and there's no absolute lie within this relative world. There is not. And I remember coming away from, you know, in the day, Richard Nixon was, in my mind, uh, my political mind, the evil persona of a president. And yet, and did many things that manifested that. And yet, many things retrospectively came out of his presidency that were very positive, really positive, that he did, and he fostered. The EPA is one of them, for example. But there are others. Um, And the same thing is happening here in a different way. There are positive things that may be coming out of this presidency. It's way too early to say what that is. And it's way too early to say the the karmic perspective of that. Um, I mean, we're still looking carefully at the karmic perspective of what happened in Nixon's time in the Vietnam War. And we can go back and however far back you want and look at the karmic perspectives, knowing that we never know all the karma. We only know a tiny bit of it. But some of it sometimes seems obvious. Yeah. But please speak to the microphone and say that again. (laughs) <laughs> I was saying that, responding to what you, were, what you were just speaking about, you know, from bad comes good, is, you know, I mean, I was at the Million Woman March. It was awesome. I mean, it was, there was beyond women. It was men, grandfathers, grandmothers, uncles, aunts, young people, babies, I mean, I'm a photographer, and the picture I took was of a father uh, changing a diaper of a of a baby. You know, something like that, or a woman marching breastfeeding. Um, those are the kind of moments that were happening there, and, they, and it just kept coming. People kept coming like a tsunami; they couldn't stop it. You know. So, so that's the point of the non-dual dharma. That, that we need to respect, that we should respect, and not just fall on one side. And, and I say that because when we fall on one side, we create a karma. And it's not a positive karma. It's not a helpful karma. Um. Um, I had a question about what you were saying earlier about um, the more you lie, the more you become a Buddha. And I was thinking, is there a difference between becoming a Buddha or and realizing your Buddha nature? Like, is becoming a Buddha a matter of time and effect of being? If you're lying, you can still be creating constructs that block you from that realization, right? Or is that what it means? Well, I I don't know if I'm addressing your question. Um, 
So let me say this about that. There are two perspectives. Uh, one is more than two. There's the fundamental perspective of the Buddha as um, Anuttara Sammak, somebody, the great full enlightenment, the enlightened being, if you will, who's understood to be a human being um, and who practiced and realized himself. And from that specific model, we practice. And what we're practicing to do, what we're in the process of, is realizing ourselves. And those pictures there on the wall are an examination of that journey from that perspective. Now, from another very different perspective, you are, you are and have Buddha nature. From that perspective, so the way an enlightened being would look at you as, is as an enlightened being. You are that. And so we say things like, no one fails to cover the ground that they stand on. That from the beginning, you're whole and complete. Now, from a practice perspective, from a personal perspective, is that your own realization? Have you realized that for yourself? So that's what we're all doing here. No exceptions. We're practicing to realize that. And it's not a yes or no. It's not a switch. It's an ongoing process. Although within that process, there, there, are, there are moments of clarity and there are moments of delusion. And so... I don't know if I've answered your question. It depends on the perspective. And, you know, implicit in what I'm saying, and a caution here, is every time we ask a question, it depends on the perspective. And if you, if you look at how Dogen phrases things, you know, within the same sentence, he says A, and then he says the opposite of A. Well, what is he doing? He's, he's trying to show you the different perspectives of the same thing. It's this, it's not this, he basically says. Or it's not this, it is this. He does this over and over and over again. When one is a relative perspective and one is an absolute perspective. You know, hang on to your hat. Do we wear hats anymore? I don't know. Um, Hang on to your scarf, whatever. Hang on to your bike helmet. Um, So the seeing into that is is challenging, and it's what makes the language, I mean, it's the point that it it ultimately can't be expressed. And so Dogen is expressing that in these terms because it can't be expressed. It doesn't make any sense what he says from that point of view, from the point of view of me, from and, and especially if that's the only point of view you have. Now, I don't know if I've answered your question, but this is uh, an important, my, my answer is important, but I don't know if I've answered, answered your question. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, something that struck me going back to your question about have you ever encountered somebody who always tells the truth? Mm-hmm. And that kind of, for me, also locked into the fact that the precept doesn't just say, do not lie. It says manifest truth, do not lie. And maybe there's a set, there's a suggestion there that just the second part of that suggests that any action or any word we use is in a vacuum. That it exists in and of itself. And it doesn't. It comes out of what we create, what we manifest. And so that person who is, if someone were to 
always tell the truth. That comes out of a sense of self. Even if they believe it, even if there's no harm in their mind, it comes out of a very deluded sense of self that there isn't, there is a, a truth that, that can be spoken that's there. So then we have a bigger challenge, which is to manifest truth in our life. And we can't just do it through one encounter and one answer to somebody's question, but that it's really a, a bigger challenge. Well said. And it's, it's why there's a series of this. It's why there's uh, Jakai. It's, it's why there's Fusatsu. And I'm always amazed how few people are at Fusatsu, which from my perspective, Jakai and Fusatsu are the central ceremonies that we do, the, the ones that go right to the heart of who we are and are the most poignant and um, relevant to my practice, certainly. You know, I, I know I can sit from now for the next 10 lifetimes and I'll be quiet while I sit and I'll be the same when I get up and you can fill in that blank uh, without, you know, so sitting is samadhi. But where's the wisdom? The wisdom has to manifest in the real world. And what's that wisdom based on? One of the aspects of that, and I've actually, in this aspect, covered a lot of territory. If you think about the introduction and, you know, building the structure of this, um, you know, we're not just talking about one precept here. Uh, you know, like we could plug in any of the precepts here um, and, and look at it from that perspective. Okay. Um, I think that was part of what I was going... Oh, this was part of what I was going to say in response to Ellery. I thought Ellery at first was going to talk about um, that everything's so intertwined and we have no idea what's going to happen out of anything we say or do, that it's just a fact of life that, you know, that that's the way it, the way it is, which you just described. But uh, what I wanted to bring up was instead of time, place, position, and degree, which is a little complicated, uh, what about being the other person or, or another way to say it is just putting yourself in the other person's place um, when you think, act, and, um, and say something? So there's a perspective that uh, I left out in the precepts. Um, I spoke of two perspectives in the traditional Zen study of the precept. There's a third. Um, and that third is characterized by the poem that I started with. It's called the one mind perspective, single mind perspective. And it comes from Bodhidharma. Self-nature is inconceivably wondrous. In the Dharma that is beyond all expression, not speaking even a single word is called the precept of refraining from telling lies. Self-nature is inconceivably wondrous. Why? Why is it beyond all expression? And what does that have to do with self and other? Please. It has no boundary. There's no separation. So, there is no self and other. Ah, that's what we're doing here to see. 
That's why you're sitting zazen. I hope you see that. You know, especially in the beginning when our minds are confused and we, you know, it's not that we can't get to ten, we can't get to one. <laughs> um, before our, we lose it. And yet, if we persist, it changes. And it's always fascinating to me, whatever barrier is before seems insurmountable. And sometimes when you reflect on the insurmountable barrier of, that's within you, within Zazen, back on the past insurmountable values, oh, yesterday's uh, problems, they, they don't mean anything. This is the important one, right? So I, I, my saying for that um, is um, uh, today's realization is tomorrow's delusion. You know, um, th- your practice is happening. If, if you're practicing, it's, it's happening. And what you're realizing is what you just said. You know, self-nature is inconceivably wondrous. How You can't even talk about another self, another person. That's the realization. That's what emptiness is. Emptiness is fullness. Now, I'm talking here in words, and we're hearing this and receiving this in concepts. It's a mando. Okay. Um, and so that has some value and is helpful in hearing that teaching. Um, but it's not going to change your suffering until, and in, until it becomes incorporated into your, your own life and your own realization, which is the whole point of this. It doesn't matter if you understand this. I won't say it doesn't matter. That's or I did, but it's not quite fair. Um, that's that's an aspect because maybe it'll help you trust that, trust your practice more, and and keep going with it. But it has to be your own experience, in to some degree and in some way, enough for you to trust the faith of what's being said as you go along, as an ongoing process, and it has to be tested. And so when there is no self and other as the fundamental basis, it's inconceivably wondrous. That is inconceivable, that there's no self and other. You can't conceive that, because all of our physical sensations and mind tells us there definitely is self and other. So how can we realize that? Well, we can't. Me sitting here with you cannot realize that, and yet it can be realized. Just It's just that I, my small sense of self, isn't the one who's going to realize that. And that is life-affirming and life-changing. Because now you're seeing both sides, clearer and clearer and clearer. There is no self. The whole world is yourself. <coughs> Are these contradictory statements? They're the same exact statement. The same exact statement. So we say this in a million different ways. Form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. Like the foot before and the foot behind and walking. And on and on and on and on. Unborn, undying. They're all saying the same thing. And so these precepts are an expression of now what? Okay, so you're sitting zazen and you're doing your best to work with your life. And here are some hints on how. And so in studying these precepts and seeing that in every lie there's a grain of truth. So when I hear Donald Trump talk and lie and lie and lie, I don't concentrate on the lies. They're a given. That's who he is. I concentrate on what is being said 
that actually has some meaning that he's pointing at. Now, my interest in knowing that is political, actually, because, you know, to me, personally, he represents something that I want, wish to oppose because he's creating evil, he's creating harm from my perspective. That's a relative perspective. And I appreciate within his lies is a grain of truth that many, many, many people relate to deeply. Many. And so, hold on, please. He's, he's been elected president. All right. So many, many, many people relate to and understand. And from their perspective, they are not lying. And from their perspective, he is not lying. And they are Buddhas too. Now, I don't have to buy that. I vote. I support. But I need to understand. I need to see what's being said. I need to understand the great lie. The great lies. Otherwise, you end up with Nazi Germany. That's my responsibility. I need to hear what what my enemy is saying. And I need to hear the truth and the manipulation in what he's saying. Otherwise, I become that enemy. You know, close my eyes, not listen, not hear what's being said. Then, you know, I'm at the end of the line where he'll be coming for me as well. And history has shown this over and over and over again. You don't think that Donald Trump, if he could, would be, I mean, look at the people he admires. If he could be that, he would be that. Well, he's not going to do that. You know why he's not going to do it? I'm not going to allow that. I take that personally. Now, that's relative. Please understand that's relative. I'm not picking up a gun and going to the White House and taking some absurd, stupid action. I'm going to work within the context of this democracy that we have. Doesn't mean I wouldn't consider that in other time, place, position, and degree, other actions. But we're far from that. And so this is my responsibility. And everybody is included in our responsibility. Everybody. You know, we're, we're supposed to have a mondo, by the way, on with the teachers, the three teachers. I don't know if I can make it or not yet. Uh, addressing this very issue. What about conservative people within our sangha? But I'm, I'm being very specific and very vocal. And this is me talking. Me personally talking. But I'm also a teacher within this order. And so when I see evil... I I point it. I say it. And I'm going to say it. And I think that's important that we all do that. But understand within that evil, nothing is excluded. Nothing is excluded. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as cushions, incense, liturgical instruments, Dharma books, and more, visit monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.